0: You're listening to Firm Up, the Fermented Food Podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. We're your hosts, Brandon and Allison, and this week we're talking about koji and vili and what can sometimes go wrong. All this and more in Episode 74. So I'm pretty sure I remember, but have you ever made koji?
1: No, it's on my list of things that I want to try. I just find it easier to go buy it at the store that's just down, you know, a few miles from my house. Just um, the eight, one of the Asian markets. Oh, yeah, because Um, you've
0: you've made the miso, just not the koji.
1: Right. Yeah, I've I've made the miso, but not the koji itself. But um, I noticed on Twitter that you um, have been making some, right?
0: Yeah, I just made most recent batch and it was looking beautiful. It smelled wonderful the way that if anyone has made koji, it's I'd argue it's different. Like, uh, um, I don't know. Do you get much smell when you you're packaged koji? Do you get much smell from that?
1: No, it's kind of neutral. It doesn't really provide any sort of smell or, I mean, it's, it's nothing fantastic. I mean, it does a great, great job, but it doesn't smell like anything. Imagine a
0: sweet floral essence just kind of wafting through the air in whatever room it's fermenting in. That's kind of what Koji is like. It's really kind of hard to explain. It's almost kind of like a almost slightly off like fermented fruit flavor Mm -hmm. or smell. Um, And so it's like on the verge of like a sickening kind of sweet floral smell. But then it's one of those things where the more I've done it over time, like the first time it was kind of funky and the first time, especially that I dehydrated, it was really kind of strong, but I've been making it now for quite a while and it's something that I've I crave that smell. So every time I make it, it's, it smells delicious, but just a little off still. It just smells a little weird. Kind of like a really smelly cheese. It's like, ah, I know I like this and I, I really like the smell and the taste, but at the same time, I know it's funky at the same time.
1: Is the smell. So, okay, so the smell is something that you notice like, ooh, this might be going the wrong way or is that just part of the fermentation? Like this smell makes me know that – or lets me know that everything is going as planned.
0: Yeah, this is the smell. This is the smell it's supposed to have and it's – I'm okay. just really – I haven't figured out a way to nail down – like I think I need to write a poem about koji and and maybe that would like get it across like the, the, the scent of koji. And so anyone that's listening to this that has – made Koji before, like send me a description that you have of it because I just say like, it's kind of like a, a sweet, fruity, floral scent. But other than that, I don't really know how to describe it. And it does definitely fill like the room that I do it in because I guess stepping back. I know I've talked about Koji a lot before, but it's incubated. So it's in a, I use a cooler system. So it's a, a big 60 gallon. No. Yeah, maybe gallon, 60 quart gallon. I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a large, chest cooler. And I then put like a full uh, steam pan or a hotel pan, those stainless steel pans that maybe Mm -hmm. know from restaurants or restaurant supply store. And then, so like a full size pan of that just fits right in there and it's filled with water and an aquarium heater keeps it heated. So it's heated with the aquarium, the water stays warm. And then I have an air bubbler, like an aquarium fish tank bubbler that brings in some fresh oxygen, which the mold is it's helpful for. And then at the same time, it's circulating that warm water, therefore keeping a really consistent temperature. When that thing is full, it's just very solidly the same temperature inside of that that cooler. Because before I used to do it just like in a plastic tub, that tub started to expand because there's too much water in it. I'd have to put in the winter, I'd have to put a sleeping bag over top of it for insulation. And now I don't have to do any of that because this, this cooler is plenty enough and I still leave it a little cracked. So there's a little bit of uh, moisture that can get out, but so that's like the setup that I have going on. And I generally will do it in in kind of office computer area. And it's actually, it's right here with me now and I can smell it and it smells beautiful. Um But it, it is, it's a little overpowering at this point. Right. And, and I know it's probably one of those things where, like, if I was letting it go, because we're dealing with Aspergillus orzeae, and so we're dealing with mold, and so it will start to sporulate at a certain point. So it will, it will go from that white, fuzzy color to kind of a green, and then get to a, like a dark, rich green. And so I'll go this through this entire process and once it's sporulating, yeah, yeah, I probably don't want to be inhaling too much of that. Before that, as far as I understand, it's not too bad. I don't know exactly because all of like the the Koji manufacturers, those that are letting it sporulate so you can have that Koji Kin, that starter. I always see them well, generally for Koji Kin, they need really sterile environments, so like they're like in almost like hazmat type suits, only not full headgear. But definitely with face masks on so they're not inhaling all the spores and I see that even in like mushroom production sometimes. If people are sensitive to spores, that's oftentimes what's uh, what's needed. So I don't know. Maybe over time, I'm just going to become sensitive and have to re- wear a face mask when I'm doing this stuff too.
1: But Yeah. Well, I think also in um, like traditional, like Japanese tradition, it's to them, koji and making sake and using um, – when they do use koji, like cleanliness is by far – so important or much more important than um, anything else and I think that that in a way it's kind of become a tradition that the tradition that they wear all of these like hazmat suits and stuff but I know what you're talking about I've I've seen it in like um, YouTube videos and I've heard from other people who' visited um, Koji production plants in Japan that um, they you know every time they leave the room they wash their hands when they come back into the room they wash their hands and they put on all of this gear so I don't know if Maybe, maybe a lot of it is what you're saying, like a sporulation sensitivity type thing, but I think it's also just to to keep the Koji itself as pure as as possible, like no human contact in. In a way that would um, disrupt or contaminate the koji.
0: Yeah, and as far as I understand too, like s- breaking it down into different sectors of microorganisms, uh, and then into the macroorganisms of of more of the the fun- fungi group. And so, with I know what little I know, like a, it's kind of like a side hobby I'm trying to get into is is making mushrooms. I know that if I really want to start growing spores and uh, being able to have like a a sustainable system myself without needing to repurchase new spores. I need to be able to inoculate substrate in a very sterile environment with a flow hood and everything. And now there are ways to do it so it's not necessarily the case. but as far as I understand, and I, I've never really dug into this deep, but I've, I saw one time like a breakdown of microorganisms into the macroorganisms. the The simplest you know bacteria give them generally like for the kind that we want to deal with like in fermentation, Given them the right environment, it's a lot harder to screw up. So something like vegetables, it's really hard to screw up fermented vegetables if you provide the right temperature, environment, and salinity. But then uh, getting into uh, the yeast, a little bit more attention needs to be paid there. Uh, and then going into the the molds that need the oxygen and uh, more chance for contamination. We're no longer dealing with anaerobic environments. We're dealing with something that has the potential where – other things can grow in those same environments as the molds can and still though we're it's not super difficult to keep the right kind of environment but if you want to get to the level of sporulation with those molds then you're dealing with something where it, it's a lot easier to get something that's contaminated and then if again if you go into the mushroom side of of fungi then you're dealing with something where it needs to be very pure sterile environment in order not to uh, in order to keep the, the the strain clean, and I mean it's more of like a cloning process anyway to, with those, uh, so it's a little different than say making something like koji kin, the starter for making koji. But I think there's probably a whole mix. Like you're talking about like tradition and uh, and keeping it pure, but I think there is something also too. It's I've made koji kin before, and in a non ultra sterilized environment, just doing it in a home based environment, like I do all of my other kinds of ferments, and it's worked. I so I've 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 successfully made koji kin, dehydrated it, ground it up. It was all green, like it was supposed to be, and then used it as a koji starter. And so I did that once, uh, or like one general. I've done one generation's worth. I have never done more than that, Uh, uh generally, because koji kin, especially buying it in bulk, isn't really that expensive. Like I just get it from Gem Cultures, which imports it from Japan, and getting the like commercial size version as as opposed to like the little versions it comes in a big pack it's so hard to use all of that like it almost once it's you mix that koji kin with some flour uh which is the rice flour or white flour which is what's recommended as a way to cut it because otherwise it's just such a minute little amount instead i can use like a a teaspoon as opposed to like points of grams Mm -hmm. and so so it just makes it easier to cut it but like then that fills pretty much a quart three quarters of a quart size jar
1: yeah, that's guess, a lot. Yeah, so to use in a short period of time.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it's not like I mean, it's it's way cheap to just do it that way. So like I've just found it's like because that things like twenty ish dollars something something twenty five dollars I'd say for for to get that much koji kin is way worth it unless a person wants to experiment with a lot of there are about five different versions that they sell and one of those is for soy sauce but that's a total aside. I'm getting back to like this whole thing of even why I'm even talking about the koji. I mean, I took a picture of it like you saw on Twitter
1: yeah, it looks great. It looks beautiful. I saw like in the very bottom, you had a little bit of mold coming in. yep, um, and it was a little it was starting to get white and then kind of going up the picture, you can see the the transition into just the grains of itself. so. Um, really great picture, I thought for a second that I, I saw it and I was like, oh, I wonder where Brandon got this professional photo. Um, then I realized it was yours, That you you did it.
0: No, but that's just on the iPhone. So that's nothing nothing too special, but that just goes to show how beautiful Koji is to make in the home. And I recommend that everyone should try it, although it does, like I was describing the setup, it's a little bit of an investment. Like it's really, I do it as relatively cheap as possible. There are ways to definitely make it a more expensive endeavor, or you could kind of even make an entire humidity filled room because we're looking at about 86 degrees Fahrenheit. And, uh, I forget the exact percentage range of humidity that's desired, but it is a humid environment as well. And just by keeping the lid closed with the bubbling water is enough to create humidity that works great. But this time I had an issue and it, it's so sad because like it takes a few days to make Koji. It's like the rice, or this time I was making barley koji. So I was soaking the barley and then I uh, do that overnight. And then I um, I just use a, a pressure cooker and I'll put it through the pressure cooker for only let it get to 15 PSI and then turn off the heat after 30 seconds, let it cool down lose its pressure normally and then remove it. So altogether it's on heat or in the pressure cooker for about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then so it's it's not fully cooked rice, but still it's like there's a process to it. I do a really large batch. So it's a large canning pressure cooker. And then I get it all laid out and then it needs to be stirred every six to 12 hours for the first few rounds. And it was all looking beautiful like I was taking that photo of. Um And it was still looking great. By the time it was supposed to be, uh, it was probably about a half a day ahead of schedule. It was looking great. Um, the entire top was covered. There was even actually starting to be a little sporulation on the, the edges, like a little bit of faint green, but nothing, nothing strong. I mean, it's still usable even as Koji, but uh, definitely not even to the point of being full sporulation everywhere. But I had noticed the night before and something I should have actually paid more attention to. I saw, oh, there's an area that's, that's getting a little of the humidities building up on the top of the lid. And it's dripping in the one corner. And so I was like, there was a one sp- spot. I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to lose koji right there. Like that's not going to turn into koji because it's too moist because it's very important. And the reason why I use a pressure cooker or the reason to steam it is because you don't want to just cook rice like in water because it needs to be moist, but pretty much dry in ish on the outside, if that makes any sense. So kind of like a rubbery kind of.
1: Yeah. So kind of like soft on the outside, but the inside is still a little hard. No, it needs
0: to be, it needs to be cooked all the way through. Like I'm not cooked all the way through. It needs to be like, it's still rubbery. It's so it's not like cooked all the way through, but it is cooked. Like it's moisture is penetrated to the center, I guess would be the way to to say it. It's just, it's still kind of rubbery, but it's just really important that it not be soggy at all. Like these need to be grains that are fully separated, no mush. And it needs to, like, you, people can go as far as using a blow dryer or whatnot to try and, um, dry off grains or a towel. But that's what works great about the pressure cooker because I use such a small amount of water, just enough and such a quick amount of time because, you know, steaming, I need to use more water because that steam is all going to go away. But in the pressure cooker, it's just all pretty much right there, penetrates it into the grains as far as I need it to. And bam, it's done. So the, the temperature or the, the, the moisture is very important. It needs to be humid in the environment, but dry-ish cooked barley or rice or any other grain on the, the, as, as a substrate. So it's, I'm not doing a great job of explaining it right this moment, but it's, it that's very important key. So seeing that moisture was actively dropping in that spot, I knew it was again, a little bit wet looking too. So it had like no fuzz growing on it because it's just the mold won't grow. But the thing is I had a beautiful layer, except for that spot had the the beautiful layer of the mold going all the way across like so the beginning of that Koji or the Twitter picture that I posted only all the way and underneath it was none of it had turned to mold none of it had molded correctly because that one spot had created moisture on the entire bottom of the pan
1: Wow. Oh.
0: I'm here. So, a long, way, way long story just to explain that, yes, the, the, the beautiful koji has not quite worked, but, you know, given that I like to experiment with things and see if it will work differently otherwise, um, you know, what can be done? And I know, I always know that, like, if I go outside the bounds of what I know is relatively safe or what works, I know there's always a chance that, yeah, maybe this could get contaminated or have off flavors, but, you know, I at least want to, even if I know it's going to be something wasted, like I want to see it's like, okay, when I push this, if I'm troubleshooting this, if I'm trying to fix something, is there anything I can do? Because, well, for one, I like to be able to pass that on to other people in case someone else screws up. I don't want them just to waste something if they don't have to. Um, and it gives, I guess, a little bit more purpose to my otherwise wasted barley substrate. And so I have experimented with stirring it up again, being like, well, it should still s- spread through. And it did. It I I mixed it all up. It still felt a little too moist, but I'm like, hey, let's just see what happens because again, this is most likely all wasted anyway. So let's just stir it up again. The next morning, it was all covered with with mold again. So it looked nice and beautiful, but it hadn't gone all the way through like it it should have. Like all the the grains were and thing. It was just too mushy. It was it just didn't feel right either. Um, and then, so I still tried again, just like, okay, well, it's mostly the bottom. So let's just like flip it over in chunks. I mean, it's a whole hotel pan, so I can't like easily flip it all, especially since it didn't mold all the way through. It wasn't very stuck together. Usually it will be kind of a little bit more matted together. And so like, I just flipped it over in chunks to see, will it mold again? And it's kind of done it. But I mean, I think I pretty much need to be at the point to, to, to give up and just say that it didn't quite work sadly, which yeah. is sometimes the case with these ferments.
1: Yeah. Well, have you ever had anything um, like the same thing happened before and you tried a technique where it did work and you got all your Koji to fully mold and um, sporulate and everything that you wanted to? Or was this like your first – the first time this has happened and you were just trying to tr- troubleshoot what was going on? Yeah.
0: Well – troubleshoot, like, okay, so like, I I guess I, yeah, I was trying to troubleshoot in the sense of like, see, like, I guess less troubleshooting and more of like, let's see if we can fix the trouble because I knew exactly what the issue was. It was that dripping spot. And I do actually know what that spot was. It's never been an issue before, which is weird. It's the spot. Like some of those really large chest coolers will sometimes have the plastic ribbon that that connects like maybe two screws, one on the lid and one on the side that keeps it so it doesn't open too far. Mm -hmm. Well, I had always left that on because I kind of used it as a like a a spacer to I'd kind of squeeze it out and it would be used to to give a little air gap so I get it wouldn't get too humid in there for the Koji. But for some reason this time, it just was an issue and and was dripping from right from that spot. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's more humid in the outside temperature. So it's becoming more humid on the inside. So maybe that has something to do with it because I've only been using this cooler since the beginning of winter. So I haven't actually experienced summer, but it's cooler here right now. It's not quite as humid as it usually is in July. So I don't know if that's the case. So yeah, maybe there's a little troubleshooting as into like what, why the drip was happening, but I just removed that completely. I was like, I can prop this crack this open with something else. So that was removed. It stopped the dripping issue. More than anything, I was just trying to see, is there any way to save Koji after it's been so... Um, uh, because I already kind of really did know what the issue was. Your other part of your question with... Has this ever happened before? No, Koji actually really is quite simple to make. Once a person invests the time and uh, equipment to start making it, it's really easy to make. Uh, it just takes a little bit of lab- labor. Like I was talking, like it takes a few times of mixing before it's allowed to like make some ridges and allowed to sit then for the last fermentation stage. It's, it's kind of a nice little ritual process. It's, it's, I really enjoy it. So, so having something go wrong, even when it's obviously blaringly like, obvious what went wrong um even though i wish i'd noticed it sooner it was more of something let's let's just see if there's anything we can say from this so no koji hasn't this has not happened to me before but it is what uh probably happened the first time i ever tried to make koji the only thing that's difficult about it is trying to get the proper consistency of moisture to start with because it can't be too dry it has to be cooked through ish but it like it uh, al dente, maybe would be a good description for it, but it can't be too moist. But then you have to have the humidity, and so the humidity is what allows, like the oxygen and humidity, is what allows that mold to really take off. But if it's too moist, it's not going to be able to spread its little little roots through all that stuff, right? So i I'd say if it's moist, it's kind of a lost cause. I have uh, that first time, this last time, if it's too moist there's not really a whole lot that can be done about. I mean, I guess maybe I could have gone and I was, I even thought about like, should I just throw this in the dehydrator for a little while, like dry it up a little bit, but then I got to make sure it stays cool enough so it doesn't kill the, the, the mold and a lot of work potentially into this. I, I, I think this next time I'm actually going to do a, a half batch anyway. Um, so then it's not as thick to begin with. That's kind of what the ridges are for to help with is so there's not any one pocket of two thick spots, but I'm going to do that. And then plus I removed that plastic thing. So it shouldn't be an, it should go back to not being an issue.
1: Well, that's really unfortunate and hard. I mean, it's hard to kind of throw away or, you know, once you've put so much effort into a fermentation and it's kind of gone starting or starting to go the wrong way. um, And you try to, I guess troubleshoot is not really the right word because, I mean, in your case, you know, you knew what was happening, but any sort of method to saving it, I guess, so that you didn't have to um, have everything, you know, be dumped down the drain or put in the trash or um, used for something, you know, something that you can't even eat or intended for that's that's the hard part about fermentation yeah <laughs> it goes bad
0: yeah i mean i guess compost pile if nothing else it's probably good for that um i might try could i give it to chickens would they eat it um would anything other kind of animal be able to eat it the only other thing i might actually try since it is still like very koji like it's just um is i might try and make it into amazake and i can do that uh, the the quick way to make amazake is It's an enzymatic process. So just putting it in a jar and it can be sealed shut, just cooked rice, fully cooked rice with the koji mixed together, put into a sealed jar. And I can put that in my dehydrator or any other kind of incubator at 140 degrees for like six to 12 hours. And it will, you know, enzymatically break it down a lot more. It'll be a lot more like mush. And then add water to that, heat it up like to a boil ish and then make a nice hot beverage not exactly timing for a hot beverage like that. Like it's kind of a nice hot cocoa replacement because it makes a sweet, the koji makes it brings out even more sweetness and the enzymes kind of break down the rice in a, in a very flavorful way. But uh, it can be also be served cold, but I might just go through all that heating process in case there were any contaminating bacteria or anything in there. Then at least I would have had the 140 degrees plus boiling and most likely wiped out anything that mm-hmm. potentially could have been an issue. Um, since at this point, it's like just trying to figure out something. But you also talked about you had something. I know that we don't have too much more time today, but like you also have your something that's not quite working.
1: Yeah, I have. I mean, a few weeks ago, I had mentioned um, that I completely forgot about my Velia that was in the back of my fridge because you've seen pictures of our fridge. It's just crammed full of just random stuff and things get pushed in the back and totally forgot about it. Um, So I pulled it out a few weeks ago. And as soon as I open the jar. It was so rank and awful. The smell was something I had never smelled before. I mean, and instantly I knew it was not, not a good smell. Um, so I've been trying to revive it and trying to, uh, kind of filter out that bad smell with the hopes of just hope, just hoping that the good bacteria is still in there. And they will, if I keep kind of doing a batch fed process or transferring, A little bit of the culture into a new vessel of milk and just hoping that, you know, if I do that for so many cycles and so many generations, the smell will go away and I would feel comfortable eating it again. But you know, I've tried and tried and tried. I think this is like week number four. Granted, we, my husband and I were um, out of town for most of last week for the, the fourth of fourth holiday and stuff like that. But I came back the other day, pulled it out of the fridge thinking like, well, maybe this is this kind of help too. Like, who knows? I'm just crossing my fingers. Terrible. I think that it's a lost cause. And I could probably try to do some other things to it. Um, but a lot, there's really not much to do when it comes to dairy starters, I think, um, just because you can't heat them up. Otherwise, you're going to – and because then you're basically pasteurizing it and you're losing all of the good bacteria that you wanted and that you need to keep the fermentation going. Um, so, I, I mean, unless you have any suggestions, there's really not much in my mind when it comes to like dairy fermentations.
0: Yeah, that's tough. I have brought a lot of dairy or a few dairy cultures back to life, one being Vili, but it never had that – funkiness that you're talking about with the smell. Once dairy starts to smell bad, that's when it gets tough. I've had it where the texture's off and it doesn't really thicken. But then if given like after four, three, four, five generations, then the thickness, bam, pops back. So those bacteria are obviously there, but yours almost sounds like to a large extent it might be contaminated. And if nothing else, you can be congratulated for having like stuck with it when most people would have given up on it by now.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think that I do do get an award for my um, my commit how committed I was to trying to save it. But I think it is. I mean, you know, it's just human instinct to smell something and and think like, "Ooh, this smells really bad. I'm not going to eat this." So I don't even have to taste it or try try to try it. I thought maybe. Um, the good bacteria was still there in like smaller populations. And then if I keep transferring it into other vessels, then they'll, the population will come back up. Kind of like what you were saying with the texture thing. I mean, I've had that happen before where something has lost its texture. And then by using it a few times, like a few generations down and just kind of knowing that, um, whatever it is, say, uh, dairy fermentations or, um, beer, wine, that sort of thing, um, the the texture or like the characteristics char- characteristics of it would pop back up I've seen that before um, but when it comes to smell there's something about it that I just can't handle and I just don't trust it and in, like instinctually instinctually and so I just I just yeah I think it's just really contaminated and it it could be too that maybe at one point I used some milk that wasn't fully pasteurized itself. And, um, and I think that's where the initial problem started. And when I was looking, thinking back at it, did I use the milk that was about that? You know, they have that expiration date. Um, and it seems like my husband and I have been buying built milk that, um, has gone sour a lot faster than the expiration date. And so maybe that was one of the, that was the case I had used one of those gallons and, you know, then, they were in this like perfect fermentation temperature world where they were. this bacteria had free access to take over, um, you know, the good bacteria and the bad bacteria one and created this terrible smell and who knows. But yeah, I think, I think it's a lost cause. And it's one of those things that we had also talked about where it's really sad when you lose a fermentation like that and you have to you know, throw it down the drain or find a different use for it where you're not really eating it. And um, because it's just one of those things like it's, I, I just don't know if I would trust myself eating it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would try anything vegetable related, like no question. Like if something's a little funky and I still think there's a chance, I'll try that. Um, dairy, I will try. I don't know if I try it if I was pregnant. Not that I, again, can <laughs> yeah. be, but like, I, I mean, it's like there are certain risks that I'm willing to take. But dairy is one of those things that, yeah, I can get pretty sick if I eat the wrong thing. Most likely a mm-hmm. little taste isn't going to kill me, but it's a little bit more dangerous. And I don't recommend to anyone outside of myself like to, I won't actively recommend to anyone like, oh, just try it anyway, because something can even sometimes when things smell OK, they can be off in the taste. And then that's when it's even harder. And that's where I just don't even recommend swallowing. Like I won't always like, if it's not going to taste, if it doesn't taste quite right, I'll generally spit it out. Um, uh, but yeah, milk's one of those hard things, kind of like meat where it's, there are enough things that can make people so sick that it's just not really worth it unless person is actively Realizing the risk that they're taking, and and again, like with you being pregnant, I don't, I don't think it's really worth it. Um, yeah,
1: and that's, I'm, I'm kind of over it too. Like, I've, I've tried my best, I gave it my all, and I think that it's just a lost cause at this point. And I don't think um, I want to risk. Saving it just to be like, I saved you. You smell bad, but I saved you and then get really sick from it or something. Yeah. Well, or, or like give it to friends and fa- or other other friends and family. I'd be kind of embarrassed to be like, here, this is really great culture. Oh, Smells yeah. terrible, <laughs> but it's really great.
0: <laughs> yeah, make some friends after they like get super sick. Sure, yeah, everyone would love you. Um, but yeah, I guess in closing, yeah, we're, we're so over this Vili and Koji um, that just didn't work out. I guess that's the reality. Sometimes these things don't work out and it's always something where – uh there's generally someone making one of these kind of things. If it's like Koji, I can get more Koji Kin. You can find someone with Feely and we can we can start things, things over. It's not it's not so worth it. Because these things throughout history have gone bad, but there's always enough of it happening that someone else is making it. And luckily enough people are making this kind of stuff now where there's usually someone else or some commercial place that's offering it for sale where uh, you know sometimes it's harder throughout history or sometimes in certain locations. So that's why I say like, if someone's making Lee or making anything like keep that culture alive, because you could be the, the savior for someone else's uh, yogurt or other ferment that goes wrong. Like you might have that kombucha SCOBY when someone's SCOBY accidentally molds over. So you could, you could save someone else in the community. And then I guess put it out there too, that like you're someone that can kind of, you know, Spread those things around. I mean, because I think it's worth it. I think these things are 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 great and then we don't have to beat ourselves up too much when they do get screwed up. So if anyone does have anything about something that they've screwed up, please do let us know. Like I'm always fascinated by when ferments don't work because generally they're pretty darn easy if done right. But like send us like the most disgusting messed up ferments that you've ever had that you either tried and regret having tried or or tried and it was okay or didn't even want to risk trying so send those our way uh, and maybe we'll talk about it in the in the future if we get some good ones in there but otherwise you can uh, you can get in contact with us at uh on twitter at firm up on facebook at firm up or you can send us an email at podcast at firm and uh, you'll find the show notes for this episode at firm com slash podcast
1: slash 74 and until next time firm up